Hey everybody, welcome back to the Traumedy Podcast. What follows here are the few days prior to operation, a few of my thoughts just after surgery, and then a lengthy discussion regarding the uh, the protocols and the type of uh, uh, environment that exists in post-op medical surgery. So uh, I hope you enjoy, I hope you get down with it, and uh, I hope if you got it, you get to use it. As zero hour comes, I'm sitting in pre-op, my clothes off, a shirt on backwards, my ass to the wind, and feeling that old, cold petrification of the fear in the gut. But never mind that, because I've felt this so many times before. The night before flying out of Dubai, the night before my last surgery, the night before starting my job at the fire department. It's the same thing, and I welcome it. I know I'll wake up on the other end of this damn tunnel in so much pain, but alive to feel it. I'm feeling um, a lot better now with a head full of Dilaudid, but god damn, my head. It feels like there have been a few hangovers in my life where just moving my head backwards or forwards must... I must have been so dehydrated that even my cerebral spinal fluid was low because when I would rock my head forward or backwards or look side to side, like my eyeballs would spasm in those sockets and I would get like these sore shooting pains down my neck and into my uh, ears and that's what this feels like anytime I resettle my head um, it's like the worst fucking headache of my life also I had air bubbles inside my brain where they did the surgery so this morning and don't get grossed out. While I was trying to go to the bathroom, I'd bear down and I'd hear like a gurgling in my head. Hey, hey. Hey. Very cool. Thank you. Um, anyway, what I kept thinking is when you have a an opening in your head, it's like an opening into another dimension. Uh, because there could be things going on outside the back of your head, but then there are things, you know, that are happening behind you, but then there there are things that, like, feel like they're happening on the external plane, but they might just be going on in your brain. And I asked the girl last night, the nurse, is there something, is there something shaking my bed? Because I've, I really hope so, because it feels like there's a kid sticking his, his, like I'm sitting in a plane seat and there's a kid kicking the back of my seat. She goes, well, your, your heartbeat is shaking you. It might be that. I don't know if this is really that great to hear from me, from me, but, you know, I thought, I hope to God it's not that. I hope that there's no new sensory add-ons to my body that are going to cause symptoms like this for the rest of my life, no matter how long it is. Um, 
Like I'll tell you a good story about my grandfather that I think I've mentioned before. When he started losing it mentally, he was really there and he was an affectionate person. He he didn't know who I was when I'd show up, but he knew that when he saw me, I was a good guy because he would open the door and go, oh, hey, and smile and he would be trying to place me. And I'd say, how are you, Grant? And, and I would just hang out with him for 10 to 15 minutes. And he was just very nice and cordial to me. And as I left, he go, well, hey, don't be a stranger. My wife and I would love to have you back anytime. Any, you can. And I thought that was so nice of him. I never got upset that he didn't understand. He didn't know me. I think that's really selfish to do to somebody who's, who's losing their minds to be upset with them because they don't know reality they don't know you that's that's not that's very selfish it's very juvenile and the one thing he he told my mother there in the family room in the back and they my grandmother had these little dolls that had uh, one of them would stand with its head on the coffee table and it had its head between its its arms as if it were counting for hide and seek. And he looked over at my mom cautiously and then looked down at the doll and he said, you know, pointing at the doll, she gets up and moves around the, the room and hides and looks for things when nobody else is here. And it scared my mom. She's, and she said, yeah. Well, how do you feel about that? And he goes, well, I just, I just noticed that. And uh, hang on a second. Hey guys, Ken Allen bringing you some uh, post op stuff. Uh, just for Euro and edification. And. Just to clarify how I'm doing, uh, this is this was worse than the than the surgery that went into my sinuses. This, this, is, this is a full systemic pain that hurts every time my head moves around, I'm assuming because the dura and the CSF inside it are equalizing. And so when the brain sloshes around, um, it's like the worst hangover of my life uh, every time I, I scoot around. And so... So uh, I tried to express that to the post-op nurse, a little Filipino guy, who told me, well, that's all I can do, but do till I get the next three hours. And, uh, and so I just left it. And then every time he asked my pain level, he's like, well, I just want to keep it between three and four. I'm like, okay, well, it's at eight or nine right now okay and left it and left it and left it and, and Filipinos out there no I'm not uh, discriminating against you I'm just painting a picture of this guy so finally he told me do you know who the worst patients are I said let me guess people that work in the field uh huh and I said, have you seen Jesus Christ Superstar? And he said, uh-huh. I said, do you think you know what a crucifixion feels like based on that movie? And he got huffy and he walked out. And then I got a new nurse 15 minutes later because he was leaving anyway. And uh, through much deliberation of basically, here's, here's my advice to you. If you need something from these people, treat them like the three-year-old toddlers. Don't act like the three-year-old toddler. Be calm. Be joking. Stay monotone. And convince them. Because by the time she left she was convincing the third ICU nurse that my pain is legit 
that I needed a rewrite of my orders. And then the surgeon, Duong, came in and, and he's like, dude, this guy gets it any, any amount he wants, anytime. He's been there before. He knows his pain level and I don't want him being a hero fireman today and tonight. And the ICU nurse said, well, my mom's ICU nurse. I'm ICU nurse. Your mom is ICU nurse. We're going to take damn good care of you. You just tell me everything I need to give you. And uh, she made my life a lot better. So I'm fighting back the tears because, God damn, thank you, God, for nurses like her. And I, um, I just FaceTimed with my family. So it was good to see my son and my wife and my mom. And I didn't want to cry in front of them. So that same technique, calming yourself for the nurse's sake, also works for calming yourself for the family's sake also the doctor said that this is the same esthesioneuroblastoma that was in the last time and it might must have been missed because it's not in the path of the old radiation however following this I will have to get a more extensive radiation treatment, which I welcome because I do not want to go through this again. So I hope that helps you all. And I hope you pressure, pre, ple, what's the word? Treasure life as much as you should because it's such a gift. And there's so many avenues of pain and disheartment that could occupy your attention span. Uh, I just thank God the pain has been broken by the delighted. I'm not out of the woods yet, but someone handed me a flashlight. And that flashlight was given to me by... I see you, Nurse Deanna, and Dr. Duong. And I'll make it out. Until then, I love you all and uh, expect another update when things improve further. By the way, if you got it, use it. a uh, helpful hint to those people that get their scalps cut open ear to ear you have got to stay on top of the pain or it will be a pure hell it will be a hell that you think it's a hell until you finally break through the pain and you realize how incredibly torturous it was to get there I was sweating I was talking to myself I was tearing up I was whimpering and now with the help of a milligram of Dilaudid an hour and 10 milligrams of Norco every three I'm able to see clearly I can see for miles and miles. I can see for miles and miles. By the way, Doug Biddle, I don't know how I knew this guy on Facebook, but he was a perfect punching bag for me when I finally cut through all of this. I saw a post that he put up that says, how could I be a bad guy? My wife is, has black eyes. Okay, and it showed a cop on there that, again, taking 
umbrage with police officers because it's fashionable. And I just, with all the pain and the trauma and everything, wrote to him and said, uh, fuck you, dummy. Grow a conscience. And something else. And uh, he wrote, like, yup. The idiocy explained itself. And then he said, fuck you. I've been doing this job for 30 years. Get some fucking respect. And then I guess he must have looked at my profile of me post-op. Possibly saw the cancerous initiative. Possibly saw some of the posts where I said, it's not doing anybody any good to... Uh, focus on the violence and focus on the incompetence of police or whatever it was but he pulled that post down or pulled me off of his site real fast because I wasn't able to access that link and I'm not even able to access Doug Biddle on Facebook um, so uh, Doug Biddle if you're out there fuck you dude Obviously, you know that I've been listening to douchebags like you tell me to respect them for probably 35 years because I've been in this profession since I was a fucking child. And also, you're a liar. You've been doing it for 30 years. I can almost guarantee that. And if that's what 30 years of this job has done to you, you're a failure. Anyway, that's all I got. But um, if you're not pulling punches any longer, neither am I. I'm sick of fucking bullies wearing social justice hats will bully me around. You're fucking pathetic and you're cowards. And so come at me, skunk. Skunk. Come at me, you piece of shit. We'll talk exactly about how I feel. But after everything I've been through, I'm not... I'm not the least bit afraid or offended by you. So I want you to put that in your pipe and smoke it. Put that in your cud and chew it, you fucking bovine. Okay, hope everybody else is doing a little bit better. Welcome back to the Trauma Podcast, everybody. It's Uncle Ken bringing it back again. Hey, how you doing, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and enemies of all ages and sizes? I'm, uh, I have returned, as MacArthur once said, when he stepped back into the Philippines. And likewise, when I stepped back onto St. John Court in Nevada, California, I have returned from surgery. And uh, what a decaffeinated ordeal. I say that because it was not as bad as it could have been. It was not harrowing in any way, but it certainly, uh, the point was not missed on me what, what hospitals prefer as their patients. And what I'm uh, a little bit uh, reticent of, a little bit, little, little different than the average patient because of my, because of my, let's be honest, because of my knowledge and experience in the field. So <clears throat> that raises a lot of, a lot of questions and a lot of disputes that. I want to first go through point to point and tell you why 
I feel like there's contention among the different medical ranks and give you some examples of that. And then explain and in the in the best possible steel manning of their side why it's probably the way it is in hospitals with their patients and patient care. But then offer you a potential conclusion and and a in a, a, a breaching or a communion across the ranks of pre-hospital and hospital care. And this is my first legitimate completely thought up um, speech that lecture that I, I feel like I can actually bring all of those points across analytically, fairly, concisely, and successfully in breaching that gap that has so often existed between people outside the hospitals, patient care that stabilize and transport that patient and the further care of that patient once inside the hallowed halls of the of said hospital so um it's good to be back home i i i just washed off the animal flop sweat of the uh circus elephant feeling that i had as i uh as i came home last night so it feels pretty damn amazing i'm gonna avoid expletives but it feels pretty pretty damn good to be home and uh, washed and self-reliant um, once again. So, and I'll tell you what I mean by that, because once I was in that hospital, it was, I, I, I woke up out of surgery. Um, man, I woke up out of surgery, and it felt like before, when I, when I came out of that 11-hour sinus surgery where they initially got rid of my first tumor, uh, it just felt like I woke right up. I came in from inside myself. I just, it was like, okay, 97, 98, 99, 98, Kenneth, Kenneth, are you awake? And I, as I was like coming through the tunnel of a water park, I shot out of subconsciousness and went, ta-da, I'm here, everybody. How, how are you? Wow. That was 11 hours? It didn't feel like 11 hours. I'm a little bit sore. My head hurts, but my family's here and everyone's smiling at me and it was successful. Wow, what a wonderful experience. Cut to four days ago when uh, I counted down 99, 98, and then somebody was holding my hands down. I was basically, felt like my consciousness was being smeared down the halls of post-op um, and I was coming out of a trauma and they said Jesus we it took so much to keep you under we had to really give you a ton of meds to keep you down and it felt as though my head had been split open and they had uh, elbowed aside one half of my brain lobe to take out a tumor that's how bad it felt so there's something to be said about uh, three dimensions and four dimensions and when you've cut your head open there is a capacity to see in four dimensions I'm pretty pretty confident that what I what I was experiencing is like something coming out of out of bare nothingness that's in existence behind a curtain um, like uh, like a tesseract or you know like different angles that are not to be seen within this realm but exist just outside of that realm and all it takes is for someone to lift that magic screen um, magic curtain and boom there's elves inside there running a shadow show and that was exactly what it felt like when I came out I felt like a there were arms and legs squirming to get back into my head. And there had been like blood streaks and smears that ran out of my skull and then through the CT scanner as well as the MRI, which uh, very possibly could be the case. So uh, I woke up and uh, obviously head hurt, as you would think, 
they cut from behind one ear all the way across the scalp to behind the other ear. They call it a coronal cut because if you look at the old um, Renaissance paintings, that's the way a halo sits on saints coronally, you know, from left to right, just kind of that halo look. And that's a, a, another name for a halo is a corona, like, like the, the rays off of a sun or a cock. Um, those are both known as coronas, just little like kind of crown things. So this was a transcranial or a transcoronal cut, I think is also a name for it. They went in there. It was on the dura in the fox between the left and right hemisphere. They, um, Dr. Duong, who's a really great gifted surgeon and a, and a, and I'd like to call a good friend of mine, um, was able to 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 separate the two lobes, to deshell it, quote unquote. That is to take out the tumor that was existing between there. He said that it uh, deshelled very easily, and then he cut uh, some pretty significant margins. It was not deep, nor was it wide. And that being said, he still cut out a significant chunk, and then got some <clears throat> synthetic. Dura, some synthetic, um, you know, uh, brain covering leather and patched it in and then slowly, I, I assume, filled it back up with uh, cerebral spinal fluid or saline or something of that sort, um, patched it, hot glued it, um, and then, and then um, sutured my skull and then stapled my scalp back together. So while I was in, I said, Doc, what do you what do you say? What do you say? You just while you got my scalp off, when you put it back together, you just just ever so slightly pull it taut in the front. He goes, I could do that. You want me to do that? I can do that. The nurse said, Well, do you really want him doing it? And I went, Well, I mean, if it's off, it's off, <laughs> you know. So uh, sure enough, when I woke up, eyebrows are higher. And it um, was definitely not swollen initially. So that, that was a success. So six hours in the operating table, despite the um, rather aggressive way that I woke up, um, it, was, it was a successful surgery. And that felt really good. And aside from that, I just had a splitting, splitting headache. And, and for those of you that want to know what kind of headache it feels like, um, it's as if your blood, your, 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 uh, your dura has been cut open and everything is, that's normally under a specific pressure is, uh, un unpressurized and it's leaky. So there are aches behind the eyes. There are aches down the neck and spine. Anytime you move forward or backwards or side to side and those organs slosh around, um, Shearing, it's, it, it, that's a type of uh, quality of pain that you don't hear very often. Shearing, it's a shearing pain. Um, it is uh, sharp, tearing, not so much tearing though, but shearing as if all of that stuff is going to be pulled apart or being torn apart. Uh, and so, so I had to keep my head mostly stable, just sitting at about a 45-degree angle while the pain meds took hold and while the, the pressure started to build back up. So, so they didn't shave my head. He, he looked at my hair and he went, you got, you got a beautiful head of hair, so I'm not going to shave it um, against the anesthesio uh, anesthesiologist's, anesthesiologist's wishes. Um, again, just a good guy, just a really good guy. That sounded like I farted, didn't it? Um, and, and so, so, I mean, there's just a lot that I like about his character. He's a good, he's a good human being aside from being a good doctor. And then I didn't realize what kind of credence that mantle projected and, and, um, uh, um, garnered inside the actual hospital world. 
So the, the more I got to know him, uh, the more I realized he didn't have to be such a humble person. He didn't have to be as able-bodied and as kind. He could have relied on tradition and protocol and really have gotten anything he wanted. So, so thanks, Dr. Duong. That's, that dude, you're a, you're a, you're a, you are a mensch among men. You are the ubermensch. And that has nothing to do with the Nazi party. It has everything to do with what Nietzsche was trying to accomplish. So thanks, buddy. Um, he complimented me on the sweatshirt that I got him from San Jose Fire. It's a little quarter zip collar with his name, Duong, on the side. Pretty dope. And he goes, every time I wear it, man, I look like, I look muscular. And I, like, stay really warm. I'm like, that's what it's for. It's for winter evenings. So you project a kind of uh, masculinity. He's like, that's what it does, buddy. That's what it does. So, again, anyway. So good dude. And he visited me in a couple hours after pre-op, after post-op, rather. After I had gotten my catheter out which again is one of the most uncomfortable fucking things that I've ever experienced. It just feels like you're constantly peeing with something irritable inside your urethra all the time. And finally, I I was able to talk the post-op ICU nurse into taking it out. And she's like, do you really want it out? You really want it out? Yes, I really want it out. Would you, would you mind? And she just goes, okay. She deflates it and she goes, hang on to something. And, and all hell's engines came out of my penis. I mean, just the, uh, the Hades Express came out with spiked uh, rail wheels and screaming lost souls and inferno coming off of my cock. So much for swearing or not in this podcast, eh, friends? So, but that slowly but surely got better. Uh, very little bleeding for that. And within a few hours, I was, I was able to pee again. So that was great. That was really good. And the doctor came in and he said, listen, this guy's a real-life hero. Do not stress. Hey, babe. Do not, um, this is for all the folks out there in, in podcast land. Hi. Say hi. You look very plump and pregnant. Thanks. You're welcome, but you're not fat. Thanks. I'm learning to say that. You're, um, you're walking very well. Oh, really? Okay. Is he waking up? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, he said, uh, the, guy's a, the guy is a hero real life. Do not skimp on the pain medication. Give it to him every hour on the hour, whether he wants it or not. <laughs> <clears throat> And uh, thus they did, the lauded IV. So that that carte blanche uh, treatment lasted all of about eight hours until the middle hours of the first night in, was that ICU? Or did they pull me out of ICU the first night? Hey, Pesh. Anyway, all I remember is that Johnny, the the the, uh, the nurse in med surge, was like, "Hello, Ken. You know, you uh, you get that every hour. I come in, I give it to you." I'm like Johnny on the spot. He goes, "That is what my friends used to call me in high school." So he was dope. He was a f- fantastic guy. He was basically the guy that said. Um, if you don't, if you don't want any pain, then don't have any pain. What the hell do I care? I'll give you pain meds anytime you want until the order gets changed. And then eventually at about 4 a.m. the second night, the orders were changed to every two hours of Dilaudid and every four hours hydrocodone or Percocet, which then got further revised. No Percocet, just hydrocodone. 
So what they were trying to do was space out my pain meds so that uh, I could go home. And I know that now. But they were they were pulling the Dilaudid way premature, way too prematurely. And I knew that, and they knew that, and so they... So here's some things that they they do. Here's some things the nurse... Uh, he Johnny leaves at about 4 a.m. The next guy comes in, and he's like, I have new orders, and I can't give you the Dilaudid now. But I can, you know, give you this. And I'm like, okay, but that Dilaudid really works. Well, I know, but it, you can't go home if you keep taking it. I go, okay, okay. So I'll take the PO meds then. Mind you, my head has been cut wide open. Like, this is not pain-seeking, but this is, fuck, this is the reason why we have narcotics. And so, so I take the pain meds, I take the PO. It's not working. It's not working. It's not working. They keep bundling it up. It keeps getting away from them. And then finally, I just go, hey, you got to give me the Dilaudid. You, you have to give me this. They push it. Boom. Cuts right through the pain. I fall asleep for four hours. Perfect. Fine. Great. Wake up. Start anew. But now they've changed the Dilaudid to every four hours. So now, it's like I'm just, I'm tantalous. I'm continually chasing this pain relief that I'm getting further away from and it's and the, and the pain meds aren't touching them so meanwhile I get another nurse in there she's all about pushing IV heparin or well uh, uh, transdermal heparin I guess what, what would you call it when it goes into the fatty tissue so she's pushing, but it goes, she goes, it can go into the tricep or it can go into the belly. I go, well, put it in the tricep, please. And she goes, I'm going to put it in your belly. It goes in the belly. I go, or the tricep. Well, no, this goes in the belly. He said, you just told me it goes in the tricep too. You know, that kind of thing. And I said, so how long have you been? Like, More than 20 years. Okay. So what does that tell you about this woman? She appreciates her job. Um, she takes a, a good deal of care and attention. She she dotes on her patients. But it also tells you that she's got a lot of ego invested in this job. And if somebody's going to dispute her protocols, um, they're going to answer for it. And and um, and that's that's admirable. That's admirable. But it's also arguable. So when she said that about the heparin, I went, then I'm not taking it. Oh, so you want to get strokes and die? And I go, I'm not going to get a stroke. I'm stretching out my legs. I'm getting up because you're getting up and walking around without someone to help. You're leaving? I go, yeah, <laughs> yes. Let's be completely honest. I'm getting up and I'm moving around this place. And um, it might be a falling hazard, but I've taken off my falling hazard socks. So there's that. And the Dilaudid that you won't give me because if I'm staying on IV meds, I'm not allowed to go home. Um, I don't know what to tell you about that. And she goes, well, then the doctors come in and they call you my dear. Hello, my dear which is my fucking pet peeve because they don't even take the time to learn not only your actual name, but a nice name that you like to be called by my dear or dear doesn't even, doesn't even reflect in today's nomenclature. Okay. My dear, I don't even answer to it. I, I, I say you're, you're having an imaginary conversation with someone. Now, that's me, and that's my ego getting involved. So what does that tell you about me? It tells you that I have experience also in patient care. I have dealt with thousands of patients, and I try and have a personal 
communication with them. Uh, I try and learn all of their names. I try and get their vitals. And I try and get a decent understanding of what their emergency is so that I can pass them off to the next person. But it also tells me that I don't do a perfect job. And I have five to ten minutes to do all of that before I pass them off. And there are times when I don't get it perfect. And there are times when I don't get it really even 80% correct. So it tells me that there's also space for me to grow. And, and so what does this hospital really want? Well, here's the conditions of the room. Decent decent twin-size bed, not very comfortable. There's a sheet and a larger blanket, both not capable of covering the full bed if you get in and then turn to the side. Uh, A leg, a shank undoubtedly um, gets exposed. Look at the the, the, the the middle of the room, decent uh, laminated wood, but in the corners, very black, un, unswept, unwaxed, unswiffered. Um, kind of clothing I'm wearing, a gown that opens in the back, so vulnerability is a major component of that. Uh, you know, my ass is hanging out for everybody behind me. Uh, you go into the bathroom. The shower is dirty. Dirty shower. I mean, just number one thing. Dirty shower. Fix that. Sides of it are cold. It's a cold bathroom in general. The water is underpressurized. Uh, you're continually, because of its size, bumping up against the sides of the shower, which run chills down your body. And then the toilets have water so high that your balls hang in them every time you go down to have a bowel movement. So what kind of conditions does this, what kind of person does this, does this uh, finally um, whittle you down to? Well, it's basically the, the type of patient that a hospital is comfortable having. It's a warm-bodied, significantly docile uh, human being where all of their, their peeing, their pooping, their, their clotting factors, they're all working. They're all working well. Um, they're not going to bleed. They're not going to stroke. They're not going to have a seizure. They're not going to be constipated. They're not going to have diarrhea. They're not going to be dehydrated. They are not going to have any kind of clotting disorders that are going to cause stroke or heart attack. It's a docile kind of manatee of a patient. And then they, they bring in a crew of Filipino uh, people that are comfortable with patients that way that just run their shifts that way. They do it perfectly in the Philippines and I commend them for working with elderly and, and, um, the in, in invalids of those countries. I mean, it's perfect and they, they don't get psyched out. They don't get frustrated. They don't, they really don't. And it's like, but that's not the way that it goes. It goes this way. So, it'll throw them for a loop if you go, I'm not going to get the heparin inside my belly. I'm going to put it in my tricep. But it goes in your belly. I go, no, it doesn't. It goes in fat. And my my tricep is where that's going to go. Or if you, you know, order them to, um, to up your pain meds, to just go, it's not working. I, I hope you understand. But they go, but the protocol here, the doctor wrote this down. This is the doctor's orders. I can't go against the doctor's orders. And that's like that significant of the, the significance of the doctor in the hospital is so much higher than the doctor even in the emergency room that it's staggering. So here comes a guy from, 
from outside the hospital who's used to doing things his own way and, and, and brushes up against serious protocol, serious tradition. And they, they, they can't even question my questions. Like, where, well, who says? And they're like, who says? I mean, it's always been. It's Bond, you know? And I go, well, n- no. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here, here are the different, here are, the, here are the, the tenants that made all of these rules uh, valid. Okay, this body, it's got to go to a fat source. So it can be the stomach or it can be the butt or it can be the tricep or it can be, uh, you know, the fat of the fat of the thigh even. It can be any of those things. It can be the it could be the retroperitoneal area just below where the kidneys are. Any of those spots work. But you go to the belly because it's an obvious place and it's hard to miss. Um, so I'm not I don't want I don't want to go there and I'll tell you why I don't want to go there because they're just following protocol. And when they say they're like, well, we're just doing this. They, no, it's going to go there. And if you go, fine, fine, just, just put it there. Just put it there. And they're like, yes, I get my way. Well, do you know what you lose there? You lose self-respect. You lose uh, your, your self-reliance that I was speaking about earlier. You lose a little self-decency. And, and that is almost impossible to regain. And if you were to talk to these people without ego, without a butting of heads and, and remain calm, as I said in the previous podcast, who are you going to make the three-year-old yourself or the caregiver? If you want something, you need to, you need to make the other person, the three-year-old so that it's simple enough for them to understand. And that's not demeaning. That's not. That's that's not patronizing. That's 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 human uh, communication. That's just what it is. It's like, listen, I know you don't get this. Let's let's just analyze this together, and you tell me where my fault is in this. If we need to go to a fat source, why do we need to expose my belly? And stick something there. I know it's as arbitrary as a tricep. So let's go to the tricep. Okay? And so I don't want to lose that self-respect. So I I don't let them do that. I just don't let them go to that spot. And hopefully I can hold on to it. There he is, bud. Hello, Mr. Man. But if, if that's what the hospital wants, if that's all they want in a human is a non-agitated, lucid um, human being with body functions at work that are not a hazard to themselves or others, man, that is a wide, that is a giant palette of, of possibilities. And so walking around that last day, just as I was prepping to go home, Man, you see a, a ton of head trauma patients. Uh, one guy had his, he was just kind of sitting there starry-eyed with a helmet on and gauze mittens on to protect him from, you know, picking at his head and face. So he had restraints on that were just basically giant punching mitts. Hey, dude, how are you, Mr. Doodaroo? Um, pops on the, pops on the horn. You want to say hi to everybody, Leo? Say hi. Say hi right there. Yeah, don't pull it out. Let's say hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah. There was that. There was a woman next door to me who just kept going. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Also with head trauma. Also with mitts on her hands, naked in her bed, sheets off, belly hanging out, gray pubic hair. 
And yes, boys and girls, pubic hair, just like any hair, turns gray. Um, and I feel for her, but I was so, God, I was so agitated that it, it I mean, that's the, the dichotomy right there, isn't it? It's that, like, how much can you stand with empathy before you finally, like, okay, but enough's enough, though. For, so, for sure, shut the fuck up, you know? And, and then when it goes there, it's like, is that actually your genuine emotion, or is that also another part of a spectrum where you're like, but I was just telling them, shut the fuck up. Like, I was just telling them, like, I wasn't actually mad at them. I was like, I was annoyed. So, you know, it's, it, it, we're getting down to some real psychology here where you like, when you look into the way you look at other people, you're like, but that's not, gen- I didn't genuinely want to kill him. I just said, I'm going to kill you right now. So anyway, uh, so you do see those hazards in, in, the real, in the real world, in the real world. And I'm not any of those hazards. So, I mean, and every one of the people that come in, um, they're all specialists in one aspect of patient care. One of them is like, how effective are your nurses at getting your pain relieved? How quickly do they respond to your uh, table, your, your bed alert? And um, h- how are the pain meds working? And meanwhile, then they leave and they're like, well, maybe you need to tell them more often to get more pain meds. And I'm like, okay, I'll tell them. And I go and tell them and they're like, you you can't get more pain meds. Your doctor signed that off. That's doctor's orders. And you're like, okay, I'll tell her that. Uh, a dietitian came in and she's like, you, you, are you aware that you've lost eight pounds in three days? And I'm like, yeah, probably. I work out and I haven't worked out in a couple of days. And she goes, well, I mean, do you need, do you need to eat more? You need to eat more food and you need to drink more liquids I'm like, nah, I, I really don't. She goes, so you're going to tell me that you're perfectly fine losing eight pounds? And I go, look at me. I'm here to tell you that I am perfectly fine losing eight pounds. But in a kind way. I'm like, I, there, I haven't the slightest qualm about losing that kind of weight. I, I will be fine. And she goes, okay, fine. All right. All right. And she walked out. But that's, I mean, you just need to address people, I suppose, in this case. I just need to, I wanted to address people in an, in an equal way, in a, in a manner that expresses my intelligence without, without going to battle with them, without contending with them, but just rather just to, to have a meeting of the minds. If, if, if that's still possible today, in this day and age, to have a meeting of two intelligent people without it uh, without it just disrupting in with with without it breaking down into conflict and and debate and a fight and that's 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 just it's fucking so hard these days so hard i don't know if it's by the time you reach I don't know if it's this, if it's the culture has just distilled down to this uh, second by second sensory input. And when that goes away, I mean, it's just a fight breaks out. I don't know if it's like debates are a thing of the past or it's it's that when people got to be my age and they were relatively intelligent, they realized how fragile the world actually was. And it was how, how it's, it's, it's actually just sitting on, it's a globe sitting on the, the foot of one stool. And it's like, holy crap, how precarious is this thing? This whole thing could topple? Like at any second? So, I'm testing the boundaries. I'm testing how how easily that is to to really topple it and then also giving everybody a fair shake and just going look i I get it you get it we get it let's let's just um work our way back to where we were before 
having known that we're both, we're both, uh, if not equals in the field, equals in the mind. If you'll allow me that, if you'll grant me that. And um, most of the time they go, okay, yeah, yeah. You don't know what I do in my job, but you don't have the experience here. And likewise, I don't have the experience that you have at your job. But I could probably, once I learned the basics of it, do a lot of the legwork myself. So it's good practice for people to have good communication. It really is. And so I think in the future, by doing that, by by, by first starting the conversation and saying, okay, uh, why, is, why is it like that? And then offering some ideas as well, do you think it, well, I don't know, it's just been that way. Do you think it's because it's just an area where there's fat and that's, a, that's an obvious place to hit or to go to? Or, you know, and you reason with them logically and they finally go, oh yeah, okay. And then if, they, if they're not willing to work with you, then, you know, you, you push a little bit more. But uh, the thing that has to happen is, in my case, it's collaboration. It's not conflict. And so, come on, buddy. Come on. Come on. So uh, I'm going to need that from them. And, and if it's something that I don't, I mean, if it's something that's unnecessary, you know, uh, fine. If it's something that's going to be dangerous to me, okay, do it. Do it. I don't care. If it's something that I know better, like they're starting IVs on me and and they're the worst IV starts. I'm I'm going like, it's right here in the other arm. No, that's too bad. No, come on. By the way, it, it... I'm just doing accents because I love accents. I'm not doing it because they're derogatory in any sense. So I hope you understand that and you take me at my um, at goodwill. So, um, yes, sir. He holds his, his holds his hand up in, in a moment of insight. He goes, ah, ah, his finger to the air, to the to the heavens. Ah, 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 eureka! So. I love this little guy now. He's got he's got this little oh, I got it. I got it. Yeah. My little sweet boy. Uh ain't that right, Dodo man? So so all things said and done, the nurse actually and, and when it came down to it, she's actually just she was she had seen a lot. She'd seen a lot of things happen in her time as a nurse. And it was not as so much as ego as it was, I knew something was going to go wrong then and I didn't stop it and look what happened. And I'm not going to be responsible for that again. And that I can get behind. That was like, she's like, stop. Like the minute I I was like kind of picking at my head and she goes, stop picking at it. (laughs) She she kind of, and I was like, okay. She goes, it's come. I'm sorry. It's coming apart though. And I'm like, oh. Really? She goes, yeah, yeah, don't, just, can you not pick at it? And I go, yeah, 100%, I cannot pick at it. Thank you for telling me in a, in a motherly way rather than um, in, in, a, in, a, in a custodial way. Um, there's a lot of good nurses. There, the ICU nurse the first night, Leanna, Deanna, Deanna. Thank you for your care. It was personable. It was affectionate. It was motherly and in a doting manner. And um, I'm in your debt, so thank you very much. There was a... Um, what, what was she? was Ukrainian. Whose birthday was also my day. It was also Christmas of 1977. And there she had twins. She had two brothers or twins in her family that were also like a few years later on Christmas. She was uh, very kind. She didn't play by the rules. Long live Ukraine. 
Um, thank you. I'm indebted to you there. Johnny, thank you. You kind of saved me in a moment of, uh, of, tra- of turmoil. So, uh, again, thank you. And, of course, Dr. Duong, thank you very much. And I, I feel like if we are continually able to meet these things head on with, with a rational head, which they weren't sure that I had to be fair. I just come out of bicranial head surgery. So once Hey, you want to hear a funny story? I can't get the second half of the podcast to export to my editor. So let's sum up, shall we? People in the hospital have a job to do. The people visiting the hospital have wants and needs. And some place we need to have a communication, dare I say, a meeting of the minds, a communion. And it's up to both of us to present our cases as cogently, intelligently, elaborately as possible to meet the person as an equal and to resolve whatever the conflict is peaceably. So that's my goal for the future, is to find a comfortable resolve in this temperate environment. So everybody is so quick to arms, but uh, we need just the opposite. We need people to listen, to still the anger, and to resolve things. And to, uh, and to get to a, a, con- a conclusion where both parties are equally as happy or unhappy. And I'm comfortable with that if you are. So if you are, tell your friends and family about Traumedy Podcast and look for us on the airwaves in the, in the uh, present. Because we will be visiting your neck of the wood. And uh, we will also be getting on different platforms. So check for us on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever podcasts are heard. And until then, Uncle Ken's saying, I love you. If you got it, use it. Peace, y'all.